You're listening to Wood Talk Online. Whatever she says. Ford Woodworkers by Woodworkers. Now you hear your host, Sexy Matt and Sexy Mark. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 63 for December 5th, 2009. I'm Mark Spagnolo. And I'm Matt Vanderlis, and I am really in a state of shock at what I just heard. So. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like that? Like, maybe well, I should just leave this... that there, huh? Maybe we should. Yeah, that definitely. I mean, if, if nobody's heard this, you know, you did. You, it's, a, it's a big favor to you. Trust me, it really could upset your <laughs> very rare early Saturday morning as we're recording this. But you know, let's go ahead and get right to this. If you have any comments, questions about anything that you're going to hear today, or something yet, maybe you haven't heard yet, you can always get a hold of us either by dropping us an email at woodtalkonline at gmail dot com. Or you can pick up the phone and leave us a message on our voicemail at 623-242-2450. And, you know, if you call, do your best Nicole impression, much like Mark just did. (laughs) That would be a really interesting segment. (laughs) I think she would love that, actually. We could just play him on the next show. Um, There we go. (laughs) Now, speaking of next show, you know, we're never really good at this. And this was a long break. And uh, what most people don't know is that there was a a little contract dispute where, where Matt was a little bit upset about his salary. And... Uh, he kind of he insisted on on double what he was making last year because of the success of the show, and um, you know we finally came to an agreement. It's not quite double, but it's certainly you know a little bit more than he had before. So um, you know approximately two times zero is is zero. So I sent him the check for for zero, and and he's happy. We shook hands on a deal, and and the show is back. That's right. I, I didn't want to come on until for sure the check. <laughs> cleared i just wanted to be safe yeah um but yeah i really appreciate the fact that you were able to negotiate with me mm-hmm. um I, it's just it really made my i feel a little bit better so <laughs> well, i appreciate good. that buddy. it's good to be back i'm just glad to have you here so <laughs> that's right absolutely you know i, I wouldn't miss this I, I just did it just purely for the power that's the whole reason <laughs> i did I, I was bound you could have gotten me for nothing oh wait you did <laughs> and we did uh but yeah it's been a long break and it's just uh holiday season hectic stuff so we're sorry if we've been completely inconsistent with things but uh, well, that's just the way it is. Right. And we want to let you know you're not the only ones that we're ignoring. There's plenty of other people in our lives that we ignore, too. So it's an equal <laughs> opportunity uh, ignoring. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about what's on the bench. I know it's that time of year where sometimes we just get distracted. So is there anything on the bench, Matt? Well, yeah, actually, I've moved it off the bench. It's now on the floor, and pretty soon it's going to be moving out the door. Nice. And that's this child's dresser that I've been working on. I'm about, let's see, it's December. Um, I'm about two months behind getting this out the door. <laughs> oh, that's it? <laughs> yeah, I, I offered to wait till the new year. I said, you know, we could just carry it out long enough, and then we could just call it a clean slate for 2010. Mm-hmm. But they're like, no, we're counting on this. Um, her clothes are on the floor right now. <laughs> All right. Poor kid. Mine were there throughout college. I don't know what the big deal is. Mine are still there, so. <laughs> right. It's pretty much mine, mine are too. <laughs> So, but yeah, this is, uh, it's finally wrapping up. I, I managed to, uh, I almost pulled like an Aiden video thing where I was halfway through the construction and then just kind of forgot to, to video the rest of it. Right. So, but now that I finished it up, I quickly went through and like, all right, I didn't talk about this. I didn't show you that. So eventually somewhere down the road, we will see this video coming out. Cool. But this was my first real big adventure in, in, in Maple. I mean, okay. I, that's oh, that exotic, that exotic wood maple that you mentioned it, last time. It is. It's exa- Did you know that they make a syrup out of it? <laughs> yeah, <It's>, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's it's one of those. I, I definitely had some really huge. Um, I, I, we'll call them lessons because that's really what they were. Mm. Uh, I tried to use my hand tools as much as possible. I, I've worked with maple a little bit in the past, but not to the level that I did with this and a couple other projects that are coming up 
that are tied with this, this dresser. Okay. And it was a steep learning curve because I don't know if you're aware of this. Maple, it's hard. I've heard that. Yeah. It, it definitely <laughs> – it really did a number on me and my tools in the sense that I just I, – I didn't anticipate it and I kept yeah. thinking – Oh, this is this is going to be easy. I mean, it's nice straight grain, blah 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 blah. And oh, yeah. Well, no. if you're used to pine and poplar or things along those lines, it's it's a wood that that bites back. Like most, you know, even most of the domestic. Well, I don't know. Stuff like cherry is a you know a pleasure to cut uh, compared to to some hard maple. So yeah, you know, it, oh, it yeah. bites back really. I was just noticing that the other day when I was I was attaching the uh, the top to the the, the base. And I needed to drill uh, some holes through the, the, the maple. And right. so in the front, I had the maple rails and I was drilling it through. I'm like, damn, I am really putting some force behind this. I actually had to put some mat weight behind it. And then I got to the backside where I've got like the, the secondary wood to help fill out the frame. So I didn't use all the maple. And yeah. that I pretty much almost like flew right through it. And I, I had to like catch myself and readjust that weight balance in there so that I, I didn't, you know, break yeah. it. So, well, the yeah. interesting thing, though, uh, to go with that is that it also seems to hold an edge better. So if you do, let's say, have to chisel some excess or something, the way that maple responds to a chisel is completely different and, in my opinion, much better than you get if you tried to use a, you know, a alder or pine or something like that where the fibers tend to crush under even a very, very sharp chisel. Right. That is one thing I definitely noticed. And also with a, a router bit, with a profile, it the first time I passed over it, I'm like, whoa this looks mm-hmm. amazing there's no real fraying anywhere yeah. you know as long as i'm using a nice sharp bit it came out great and cool. i even ran upstairs and showed sam i'm like look at this this, this profile is amazing this is a one <laughs> single pass and yeah. she sat down her twilight book at me and said shut up oh, and walked out <laughs> geez let's not talk nicole's movie podcast they just talked about that stupid movie and then um like pretty much all of our friends online who have podcasts are talking about that movie so let's not be them <laughs> okay all right I, we will not mention Let's not say that again. I'm sure it'll come up for some reason uh, in the rest of the show. I don't know why, but it will. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that that was pretty much my whole thing. We won't mention cool. that show. Yeah. And uh, that that's the biggest thing that's been happening. I mean, I've got a few other things, but that is the one that has been my obsession lately. Cool. So Good I am deal. happy to be seeing this go as much as I, I enjoyed having it in the shop. But well, it sounds like said, it was a great learning experience at, at the very least. It definitely was. Like I said, you know, when it came to the hand planes, especially, um, I learned a lot about the angles of the blades, you yeah. know, the, the bevels and stuff. And holy, I had one that just, I'm not even, no, no, that's a whole other topic. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll come back and discuss that sometime. Well, let, what's let me, going on with you? You've got something going on. Oh, what? I do, I do. But let me ask you this real quick, because I know when I first started woodworking and moved up from what we considered to be the cheaper, less expensive woods, to a real hardwood, whether it was maple, birch, or or something, whatever I can get my hands on. But I had an incredible amount of hesitation and fear of using it because I didn't look at it as, you know, like paper. You know, you you write on all pieces of paper, you throw it away. We don't think too much. The cost, the mental cost of a piece of paper is very, very little. But, you know, the same thing with the shop. You know, a little bit of pine here, some plywood is really no big deal. You're not afraid to waste it. But once you step up to maple and you've paid, you know, five, six, seven, eight dollars a board foot for this stuff, now the mentality completely changes. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I mean, you're just hesitant to even turn on the tool and touch it. I'm wondering if you went through that when you first started using it. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I did the thing where the the stock came in. I had it kind of sitting in the in the, the shop, kind yeah. of acclimating, 
And I spent agonizing hours. My family will tell you they got sick and tired. I would take my meal down with me into the shop <laughs> and just sit there and try and plan out every single cut so that I wouldn't waste any of it. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, all right, now I know this is only a couple inches, but I think if I glue it up with this one over here, I can make that wider panel. Nobody's going to notice. <laughs> right. You know, stuff like that. So, yeah, I definitely. And when I did have a miscut, it was like, you know, I, you might, I, I don't know other, other way to describe it other than like I felt like I lost my wallet at like you know a bar <laughs> or something. It just it felt that agonizing. Right. Oh, who's gonna be walking around using my fake ID or using my ID and? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can it can be a little bit of a challenge, but I mean once once you touch enough of it and, and you get you know confidence that it, you're not just gonna screw it up just because it's an expensive wood, it, it makes life a lot easier. But I was just curious if you had gone through that as well. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah, there there's that's one of those. I think. I had that more so with this than I did the first time I really delved into like cherry. I mean, cherry's expensive too, but I really with this one, and maybe this also has to do with like once I had that that steep learning curve of mm-hmm. how hard it really is on the tools. Yeah, yeah, you know that that's just like one of those. Then it's like there's the two frustration levels at that point with you know kind of like all right, I want to do this just right. I know I'm going to screw something <laughs> up though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you don't want to damage the tool or do something wrong. So right, absolutely. Well, cool. Um, we. Yeah, so, so in my have? shop, ooh, well, you know what? You guys know all the crap that I went through with the the move and everything like that, and uh, the house hasn't sold yet, the other house, so it really is coming down to, well, it's winter. It's the time that, you know, people who are doing work and, um, you know, construction guys and uh, garage door guys and AC guys, this is a time that it's really good to go to them because they're they're hungry for work. You can get better prices. So if I'm anticipating having to work through this summer of mine in Arizona again next year, I probably should think about doing these things now. And who knows what's happening with the real estate market. So um, I just decided I, I have to do it. I, I can't do another summer, you know, with 115 degree days and, and trying to make a living out in the shop. So yeah. that's really what's going to be happening soon is uh, round two, I like to call it, of, of shop upgrades. So basically, you remember in the old shop, I did the, the garage doors, the blown in insulation and added the air conditioner. Yep. Basically, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're doing a mini version of that here, um, and and really, after paying for that in that shop, this is like nothing uh, as far as what I was expecting the prices to be. Um, yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, yeah, you, you definitely went well le- less than half the shop that you had before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So check this out for the insulation. Now, if anybody works in their garage, regardless of where you live, if you can have insulation added above and in the walls, it, it just really buffers your shop from the outside conditions. So, you know, in the heat of summer, it's going to stay cooler and in, in the winter, it's going to stay warmer. And I really recommend doing it because it's not that expensive. And I know in some regions, they don't really like, you know, the East Coast and where there's a lot of moisture. They don't really like cellulose. So things, depending on what the material is and your area might change. But for me, blown in cellulose insulation is great and it's incredibly cheap. Uh, People were like, oh, you should just do it yourself. You go rent the machine at Home Depot and, and I could do that. But the entire shop or the three-car garage, uh, the entire ceiling needs to be done. And two walls are somewhat, at least one wall is fully attached to the house. So that one doesn't matter. Uh, Another wall is half attached to the house. So basically there's like one, two, like two two walls basically that need to be done and the the ceiling. Um, Complete, you know, I think about eight inches of cellulose. And then while the guy was up there checking it out, he said, you know, you are a little bit low on the rest of the house. You might want to consider getting the rest of it done. And we have about roughly 3,000 square feet of living space on the main part of the house. The mm-hmm. entire job, everything, I was just like, well, just do it because um, I'm kind of a, 
you know, a freak about saving money when it comes to air conditioning and heating. And Absolutely. He, yeah. So he's like, uh, he did the whole thing. The estimate's coming out to about seven hundred bucks. Wow. That's see, I was expecting like something with another zero on the back of that. No, no, you know, no. Up, that's amazing. That is a really great price. I mean, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, because. I know I, I priced it out ourselves. We're a little low up in the attic. People say that a lot about the Vangelis family. But uh, when, when we went up in there, we were looking at it. And, and yeah, it, it was definitely more than that in this area just mm-hmm. to find something comparable. But that's yeah. – wow. And I don't know. I mean I can only speak for what, what we do here in Arizona. But, the, you know, the, they're basically going to punch through all the cavities and kind of like in the old shop. And I'll have to repair all the little circles and stuff like that. And I'll do a better job in this, this house than I did in the other one <laughs> of repairing them. But uh, – you know, not bad. And for seven hundred bucks, I'm not sure that I could get that price doing it myself. And and I really would rather not be crawling up up into the uh, attic and and rooting around up there trying to get this stuff blown in and dealing with that for seven hundred bucks. Uh, it, it's just a done deal. Now for the shop itself, just the shop stuff would have cost roughly, I think, like four ish, something like wow. that, three three to four. So to me, even you know, regardless, this is something that's just good to do for your home, and especially if you work out there, uh, I think it, it, a lot of people would get a lot of use out of that. Oh heck yeah! No, and, and another thing that falls in there is I think you're you're paying for your time too because you know yeah. if, if, if like especially myself if I did something like that I have no experience with blowing insulation in right. it would be everywhere it wouldn't <laughs> go down to the cavity right you know yeah. all that oh yeah and then you got to get that, down and and load the hopper and then you know get back up there with the thing it, it would probably just be a nightmare so. Um, yep. So that's something I'm not doing myself. And aside from that, we are getting the air conditioning and the garage doors replaced. We have, unfortunately, west-facing garage doors. So in the <sighs> afternoons, it just hammers on those doors like in the old shop. So, right, yeah. Well, your other option is to get up in the middle of the night and, and do everything. So that way you're mm. out of the shop before the uh, afternoon heat starts kicking in. That's but a good I don't option. think that's going to happen. I actually <laughs> used to do that before I had uh, AC in the other shop. I would get up really <laughs> early in the morning and try and beat the, beat the heat. But uh, that just doesn't work in Arizona in the summer. It's hot all the time. Right. So well, you um, know, one thing I was thinking when you were talking about blowing in the insulation, I seem yeah. to remember a little incident when the last one was happening of some workman standing on the joiner outfeed table. Oh <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Well, you Did know you write that into the contract? Like no stepping no standing on, the tools. on tools, please. Uh, fortunately, in this shop, the joiner is in the middle of the room, so the only thing he can stand on is uh, you know shelves and things like that, which you know he'll probably <laughs> fall off them if he tries that. So yeah, that right. was Your funny. Cleat didn't hold very well. Yeah, the joiner. <laughs> I forgot about that. Well, hey, and there's a testament to the quality of uh, of a Powermatic joiner because, number one, that guy stood on it and nothing happened. Uh, I moved it from one place to another, and I just tested it the other day. I got my straight edge and finally was like, hey, let me see if this thing you know, is out of calibration. Dead flat still. So that's, wow. that's pretty cool. Sweet. Well, you know, but the, one, the other downside to putting in all this insulation and the air conditioning is there's going to be less of you falling on top of and dripping all over your projects. <laughs> my, my personal stain that I bring to all my projects. That's right. <laughs> also known as sweat. Is that, is that smell? Is that the wood? Is that like mesquite or something? Um, <laughs> no, that's spagnolo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could do without that. All right. Moving on to woodworking news. And, you know, there's really not a lot going on. First of all, this is woodworking. So there's really not much news to begin with. And, yeah, there's uh, no breaking news suddenly, you know, where they crash in on your favorite magazine or something. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Pop Woodworking site was down for a couple of days. I guess that's news. 
Oh, wow. I didn't even notice that. I, well, I've been a little too busy at the new job where they don't let us have internet. <laughs> <laughs> Those jerks. Uh, but aside from that, there, there are a few bits, of, uh, bits and pieces that I'll let you guys know about. First of all, if anyone hasn't heard already, we do have a, a guild interactive chat coming up with David Marks on Monday. So that's an opportunity to just kind of like we're doing right now, chill out in the chat room and send questions to me. So uh, David and I, as we're having a conversation, I could bring those questions in and you could ask him anything you want. Like, um, you know, woodworks questions, what kind of conditioner he uses for his hair, um, (laughs) anything that comes to mind. What was a young Spagnolo really like in your shop? How much repair did you have to do once he left? He was a pain in the... Well, you know, I did break his bandsaw blade, but that's another story. Uh, that's I did that to Jeff Miller at once, and we weren't even working with the bandsaw at the time. So. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, at least I was using the bandsaw at the time. I've oh. got an excuse. Um, and speaking of David, he just recently released his bandsaw and veneers DVD. And um, a lot of people want to know if he's, he's going to start a new show or, or do another show at some point. And, you know, if you ask me, I don't think so. Um, I don't think I don't know if he would want to or if the opportunity just isn't there, but I doubt it. And I think he's he's going to be doing these DVDs as a regular thing. So you could expect more uh, of the topics that he typically talks about to come out in the form of a DVD. So right now, Bansong Veneers, I've uh, I got it right here. If anyone is looking at the video, it's David right there and 68 minutes of basically really setting up your bandsaw you know in the absolute most precise way possible to to get amazing uh, veneer out of it. and he in the the video he does a sample where i don't know if it was exactly a four quarter board if it was a full inch I, I can't recall but basically he was aiming to get like eight sheets out of this one roughly four quarter board and when he was done he wound up actually getting 10 i think so um wow. yeah i mean and he's got this thing dialed in so the whole the whole DVD is about how to set up your um, your bandsaw for veneer cutting, and if you put it this way, if your bandsaw is set up for veneer cutting, it will do everything great, you know, because if you can cut veneer with it, it can certainly cut curves and cut anything, you know, resawing and stuff like that uh, with no problem at all. So it's it's just good to go through that procedure anyway. Very nice. I think I'm going to put that on my Christmas list because that's something I need to do. Now that I have the new bandsaw, it's been working great. I used it quite a bit on the recent project, Mm -hmm. but there's still a little more tweaking that I think I need to do to get it nice and and, and dialed in like that so I could do some veneer because I had a little issue with some resawing. So that's that's perfect timing. Definitely. I like the idea of these these DVDs, and I know some people are going to completely disagree with this, versus like maybe getting another show up and running. Not like I'm afraid of competition because obviously <laughs> <laughs> there's no concern there uh, for David. And uh, But the, the one thing I need, I like about these ideas of the DVDs of a series of these coming out is that it's more accessible. And you don't yeah. have to like hunt for the time for when it's going to come out. And I think it could hit more people you know, all yeah. over the place. So Yeah, and if you, great- like, um, if you like David Marks, and this is something that, you know, it's the same thing that goes with us if you like what we do and there's there's a lot of ways that you could support us i think david would be more than happy to live the rest of his life selling a series of dvds and teaching classes rather than you know going through the 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 hell that is producing a tv show right you know so i mean if you like the guy i think this is what he's aiming to do go ahead and uh, support him buy a dvd definitely sweet Um, the other thing i wanted to mention and the reason this is on my mind is because they came out to the shop to do a demo for us but have you are you familiar with lee jigs fmt the frame mortise and tenon jig yeah i've seen that before yeah definitely okay well they recently just like they did with their dovetail jigs they're being sensitive to the fact that the market can't necessarily support you know an 800 900 jig 
So just like they did with the dovetail jig, they came out with a line, um, uh, they refer to it as the Lee Super FMT, uh, which is just a lower cost version of the same uh, unit that they've been selling for years now. Um, if you're not familiar with it, you may want to check it out. It's still expensive. I mean, by no means is this a cheap solution, but it's cheaper than the, uh, I think it's like 800 or something for the what they're calling now the FMT Pro. So okay. he came out to the shop, uh, Matt Grizzly from uh, Lee, and amazingly, he did this whole demo for us. It was fantastic. I'll be putting a video out uh, about it later. And we, he answered all the questions about what makes this different then the, uh, the FMT Pro, and he explained the manufacturing process that they use to save money. But the most amazing thing about the, the whole thing was uh, we went to dinner afterwards, and he's explaining the history of the company. I said, so how did how'd you, you know, come to work for, for Lee? He said, well, my dad invented the dovetail jig. <laughs> oh, wow. I was like, what? <laughs> really? And I, I guess I just wasn't familiar with the history of the company, but apparently... At the time that his his father w- invented this thing, there was only like the fixed half blind dovetail sort of things, and and he was doing stuff. His father wanted a solution for this, and developed the variable spaced um, uh, through dovetail jig, and that oh, wow. that's where the the original dovetail jig came from, apparently. So um, I was like, that is really cool. I said like, that, and that, not your grandfather or anything, your father. He's like, yeah. So. Like, really, so you were like sitting pretty much next to history, kinda. Yeah, <laughs> the, it was the son of history. Yeah, over uh, over burritos and uh, salsa, it was great. That's really great though. <laughs> They're kind of cute. <laughs> and then other dovetail issues came up in the uh, topic, but uh, um, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was it was pretty cool. So the 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 super FMT. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's like. Um, Again, like I said, it's still not cheap. It's a, what I would consider a premium tool uh, at 449 but it is, I guess if you want to categorize it, it's along the lines of providing the same solution that things like the Festool Domino do and the Dowelmax system, um, right. sort of these all-in-one joinery solutions. If you're going to marry a joinery solution, you buy one of these, and then you never really have to make a mortise and tenon any other way. Nice, very yeah. nice. Yeah. That, that's a great alternative. Awesome. So that's uh, that's about all I have for for news. Let's uh, let's take a trip around the web, Matt, and uh, let me know what you found, and 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 keep your hands and arms in the cart at all times, please. Yes, please, definitely. We've had some issues before, and we're not going to get ripped on insurance again. <laughs> uh, anyway, so what we have is the first thing. One of my favorite blogs, and I, I talked about this a bunch of times. I'm going to throw this out there again. Is a, uh, a a blog called Dudecraft, and he finds all sorts of stuff. And once in a while, he finds some really great woodworking ones. In fact, majority of these, two of these ones that I have uh, up here on around the web are from his website. And the first one is there's no other way to put it. This is not your father's turntables. And over at AudioWood.com, um, they are taking like burls or taking just really kind of like natural edge pieces mm-hmm. and they're turning them into usable turntables. You know, really? I don't think you're going to see any DJs like scratching on these. You never know. They might. Wiki, wiki, but wiki. It, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, there's a couple <laughs> of them like, dude, you know, there's a there's a like a, a trunk in my backyard that looks exactly like one or two of these. Oh, I just went there. Look at that. Yeah, this is just like one of those really, you know, people are always kind of like, well, what else can you do with woodworking? You know, you, people get pigeonholed into what you can, you can build with these projects. And yeah. when I saw this, I'm like, dude, this is like one of those things that this is just sweet. There's just no other way around it. Yeah, and each one is completely unique. It's just this chunk of wood that he's, you know, sort of cleaned up and molded a little bit and put the turntable on it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's really neat. Now, he has a, his whole about thing. He's got like a whole, you know, how he got into this and all these other things. But I just, when you look at the turntables, I mean, what, there's 
well, there, there's over, uh, what, 12, 15, something yeah, like that. Like up on there. Yeah, and it, this is just, it's really neat. I mean, there's there's some that we, it looks like they just went over and like, I just need to cut this right off the tree. All right, we'll use this. <laughs> right, yeah. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm so. mesmerized here. So, yeah, definitely check that out. What is it, audiowood.com? Yep, that's right. Yeah, and he we're, we're, he said in his thing that he likes to work quite a bit with burls, and like I said, a lot of them are natural edges, and I, th- yeah. I think that's just cool. It's not something that you would see out of the ordinary, so I'll probably be putting my men at work uh, record over on one of them and going to town. <laughs> nice. So, right, okay. you know, I'll let yeah. you just, you, you populated this whole part of the thing, so I'll just let you run with it, and I'll drink my coffee. Okay, good idea. We'll save your voice for the next portion. <laughs> <Go> <laughs> All right. So another one that comes from the, the same website, DudeCraft, uh, is – and I do this around the holidays, and I like to kind of break out my little carving knife. Of course, my friends once again go, see, you do whittle, and I – whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's really kind of funny because there's this little thing, and it's not so much a, a website as just these really neat pictures that I saw, which were hand-carved – Everybody, when I was growing up, loved Godzilla and mm-hmm. loved Mothra and all of the other ones. Well, they went ahead and they carved them out of wood. And this is all Japanese carvings. And I just thought these were really, really cool. I mean, it's just like one of those, again, hey, what can you do with woodworking? Well, yeah. hello, here you go. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, this was this was pretty neat. Um, I think the detail on it was, was, was pretty outstanding. Um, again, I don't think I could do this, but um, maybe someday I could try to. <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, something to aspire to, right? I'm going there right. now. Whoa, what? Oh, my oh, goodness Oh, no, gracious. there's a 404. What's going on here? No, I just got it. Oh, I see what I did wrong. Hold on. I forgot to add the You L- typed it yeah. wrong. Is, so I got this This dragon is on the front page. Yeah, that's uh, Ghidra or something like that. I can't remember. I remember him fighting Godzilla because I think right. Godzilla's son was in the way. I remember that from uh, that looks like the thing at when Pee Wee Herman was trying to uh, escape with his bike and he went through the the Japanese movie scene. And that, yes, there you go. <laughs> that's what I remember that from. <laughs> anyway, it is right. Yeah, I've totally forgotten that part. I just watched that the other day. Yeah, see that? <laughs> yeah, there's like Voltron. There's like Mothra. I mean, just the detail on this. I'm always amazed when. Um, uh, carvers do the, like the, all the sculpture and stuff. Just the amount of detail that they can get on these things. Yeah, <laughs> this really feeds into my monster movie uh, addiction. <laughs> what, what you should be watching right now as you vegetate on the couch. That's exactly what it is. I'm like, oh, I gotta go do wood talk online. Not that I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> so, all right, and then one other thing that I found, just kind of uh, a quirky little thing. Uh, a listener of our show, Angus Pitt, had sent me a link. He found this, and I thought this was pretty neat. It's called Wood Gears, uh, and the actual website is uh, woodgears.ca. And basically, they, they kind of say, like, you know, oh, it's a, it's a website for uh, wood engineers or for engineers in general, woodworking for engineers. That's it. Uh-huh. And it was pretty neat. They say that they have a new article every Monday. One thing that caught my eye is his most recent articles were talking about um, using various glues, what, what they do with them mm-hmm. or how to use them. And then he also had something in there about uh, it was engineering tests on joinery. In fact, I think it was November 16th. If you go to the website at the top, it's the third one from the left, uh, testing different types of wood joints. And you can see oh. like how he ended up doing it. I mean, if there's been times I'm like, you know, what? I think this would be kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this was just one of those things that kind of caught my eye when Angus sent this to me. And I'm like, you know what? 
this would be kind of a neat one in case anybody's ever interested in learning more. I mean, we see this all the time in some of the, the big magazines as they do their joinery tests and say yeah. which joint's the strongest. Right. And here's another one maybe to help back up some of the information. And, you know, just looking at some of the other stuff on this site looks like, I mean, I, I come in contact with a lot of engineer sort of minded people who are just, they love their dial calipers and they are, you know, very specific about these things. And there's uh, even attachments that they've they've done to machinery with wood uh-huh. products. I mean, there seems like a lot of things that appeal to to the type of people who who do woodworking. Um, I mean, these some of these jigs are just insane, but they're all shop made. So th- yep. this looks very appealing. I know a lot of people. Um, oh, here you go, wooden machine machinist squares. How does that strike <laughs> you? Yeah, I did see that. <laughs> That's right next to the uh, making a pirate sword. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how uh, how well I or how much I would trust machine squares made from wood, but um, that's interesting still, nonetheless. Yep, definitely. So it, it's it's definitely something to, to check out. A few minutes just to kind of kill some time and cool. look over some of his projects and everything, and maybe you know inspire you to build something new and different. <laughs> nice. Okay, so we got some sweet deals here and once again, Matt, you came through and and came up with some some really good ones. So if you want to jump in there and let everybody know what they can get cheaply, that would be great. No problem. You know, it's kind of funny cuz with the holiday seasons it seems like there would be way more sales going on or yeah. something. But as I was going through, I'm like I went to my usual ones and I just didn't really see too much. So first off, of course, we have Woodcraft which is offering free shipping on all orders. And uh, I did see, uh, just before I, I came on the show, I believe it is Saturday, uh, December 12th, which should be this next Saturday. Uh, they have a 10% off on, like, DeWalt, uh, Delta. All um, There's a certain number of uh, pieces of machinery that are up for sale. So mm-hmm. if you're in the market for it and Santa's going to be very nice to you, perhaps Santa would like to save 10% on uh, some of these items. So if your local woodcraft is uh, having that sale, which I think all of them are, then mm-hmm. you should be all set. Unless I just discovered it was only the um, uh, Grand Rapids one, in which case, <laughs> sorry, you lose. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to head on over to Rockler. And Rockler, I saw, was having their jet parallel clamps on sale. Now, this is only the 31-inch, the 40-inch, and the 50-inch sizes. And it's uh, the you have to order them online only. So if you have a Rockler store, unless they're doing something really nice uh, in corresponding with the sale, I do believe this is online only, but hey, everybody loves parallel clamps and uh, might be something worth some checking into. I know myself, I really sure. should add some to mine, but... Yep, there uh, it is. The Jet Parallel Clamp Blowout. That's right. Yeah, they're Word. blowing it out blowing the door. It out. Yeah, well, you know, and um, here's the other thing, and, and you know, Rockler's a sponsor, so I don't <laughs> I don't want to say anything, uh, you know, too bad or about them, but um, check Amazon. Because I find that most times a sale at, you know, Rockler or Woodcraft is generally the regular price at Amazon. So, you know, before oh. you before you jump on it and get too excited, unless it's like a clearance reduction of some sort, uh, most times you'll find that same price at uh, Amazon.com. That's good let, to know, let's pretend actually. I didn't say that. <laughs> okay, yeah. We'll say I said it because I don't like Rockler. <laughs> Matt, Matt just said it. That was Matt. Sorry. Right, no. But Rockler, I love you guys. Uh, so anyways, though. <laughs> No, and you know, parallel clamps are one of those that that's a mainstay in everybody's shop. Everybody always asks about them. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great idea to shop all around, find the best deal. Yeah, definitely. All right, one more thing. Uh, I have some samples of this in the shop. I talked with these people at um, when we were at AWFS in Las Vegas, and they were nice enough to send me a sample. And I have been very unnice enough not to sample it yet. But <laughs> we've talked before about uh, good old fashioned milk paint, and it's a really great. Uh, alternative for 
when you're working with uh, anything that you want to be like food safe or kid safe or just if you want to work with paint in general, it's it's made from milk. I mean, how more all natural can you get than that? Yeah, well, you know, it's also good for making things look like crap. So yeah, well, oh, there's that too. Oh, oh, hey, <laughs> is that just hey, my opinion? Oh. <laughs> just me? <laughs> well, in your opinion, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. I mean, I know a lot of people do like to use it, and it serves its purpose. But I I would never even think about putting that on anything because <laughs> oh, it just looks. I guess it, it does make it look like it, maybe a customer might come along and say, "I want something that looks like crap," and and you know, then I would do it for them. But right. um, for me personally, <laughs> I don't really like milk paint all that much. Well, I, that, that is definitely one of those things where I, it's in my in my household we have the very country chic kind of a thing, and that's what I always see with with the milk paint. Yeah, it's yeah, that, like country, country store cracker barrel kind of thing. Right, exactly. So I am not going to tell Sam that you think it looks like crap. She'll come over and kick your. <laughs> yeah, I said it's my opinion. It's my opinion. Right, and I'll be like, "Hey, Mark Scott, I have opinions too." And then she'll remind me that my opinions are kept to myself. <laughs> right. Hey, you know, Nicole, no. when she when we first uh, started living together, she wanted to put a, a quilt on the bed, and I said, "No quilts. Quilts look like crap." So no. <laughs> you can hang it on the wall at my grandma's house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just my opinion. I'm from New Jersey. I don't like okay. those things. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to move past. <laughs> now. And uh, anyways, uh, Old Fashioned Milk Paint Company is having a deal and it's going through December 31st and they have three different things. You can order over $50 of any products and you get a free sample of Daddy Van's Beeswax Polish. Now, I just like that because Daddy Van is what I call myself. I was going to say, it almost sounds like that would be your nickname. <laughs> yeah, I call me that. The rest of the family just does it. Daddy Van. Nice. <laughs> now, they also have another one that if you order over $100 of products, they're going to include a free quart of their Old Fashioned Milk Paint or their new safe paint which they're marketing for like you can paint your walls with it throughout your house really um and then the other one is they have the deck the walls special which is buy three gallons of the safe paint and get one free special uh oh one one free and they said that's that's because that was a really popular um special that they had going on so they're bringing it back for the holidays so if you're interested at all in trying milk paint you know as an alternative uh give it a shot um, just don't let Mark see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what though, this stuff is good for you know, especially the 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 whole environmental friendly sort of trend that's that's running through the industry. Um, I'm sure they're probably seeing a little boost in sales for all that. So you know, it definitely does. Um, whoa. <laughs> Whoa. That is just that's, way too much Mark going on. That's uh, that's Nicole watching the show. Apparently, she doesn't normally uh, she doesn't normally care. What's up with that? She's just mad because I, I I didn't use her voice at the beginning of the show, and she probably heard that quilt comment. Oh yeah, don't. She did say something. I, I have headphones on, so I didn't hear what she said, but I, I might be in trouble. Okay, so moving along, that was our, our sweet deals, and um, well, we have a little forum conversation uh, that I wanted to bring people's attention to with our "It came from the forum" segment. I'm going to play my little fancy clip with with Matt's voice at the end because it's very scary. Ooh. Left tilt or right So, like, I'm refinishing this table. I finished trying. Oh, I post a picture. This blue turn my hands. It came from the forum. Yes, it did. All right. Rob Lopez put up a post in the forum. This is, by the way, when I refer to the forum, I'm talking about the community forum. It's uh, community.thewoodwhisperer.com. Oh, I thought you were talking about that Roman thing where they used to do politics. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that was uh, last year's thing. We're, oh. we're, we've moved on to something else. Uh, Rob asks, he says, I, I'm blah, blah, blah. I look all around online, but I'm still confused on which blade to absolutely use for both ripping and cross-cutting. I see that the combo blades are recommended, but what tooth count? I have a 40-tooth Freud Diablo series blade. It does all right, but is it the best? I don't want to spend more than $50, including shipping, 
which blades do you use for both tasks? And the conversation proceeds in the community. It gets a lot of good answers. Um, let's see some of the highlights here. Um, David uh, Hostetler says, for the $50 class, the Freud pretty much is the one that you would want, you know, and I completely agree with that. Um, yep. You know, and a 40-tooth combo blade is not going to be absolute perfection on either side, cross-cut or, or rips, but that's the whole point. It's a combination. It's going to be a compromise. Um, right. You know, but then uh, he also mentions that if you want to double the price, you could look at, like, the Woodworker 2 or even something from Tenru would be a fantastic blade. Uh, right, f- absolutely. A few, few other folks in here recommended, you know, going the separate way. Get get a ripping blade and get a cross-cutting blade if you want the absolute best in, in quality, but... I mean, I guess if you don't mind changing the blade every time you need to change your operation, that that wouldn't be too bad of a thing to do. Now, wh- right. what do you do, Matt? I'm curious. Um, I, I have a combo blade because Daddy Van is way too lazy. <laughs> Daddy Van is lazy. <laughs> <laughs> to constantly be taking off the uh, – because my my uh, blade, uh, the, the, the opening to, to get in to remove the blade, uh, I have to unscrew it and then lift it all. And then I got to take it and then I, I have to like try and change them. Mm-hmm. And I just I, – I, it's not my it's not my cup of tea. I don't enjoy doing that at all. So I have a combo blade. I I started out with the same one that that Rob was talking about here, the uh, the Diablo forty two, uh-huh. and um, I, I then said, you know what? I really I want to step up my game a little bit on this because I just I don't know. I was I didn't feel like I was getting the results that I want to. You're right. A combo blade gets you in the ballpark, yeah. but it's not going to get you to the sweet seats in either. The, the ripping or the cross cutting. Mm-hmm. So I ended up stepping up to the the woodworker too, and I I really really in, enjoy it. I mean, it, it, I think it made a huge difference. And I had the same issue with I don't want to pay a lot for a blade. And then I decided, all right, I have this little gift certificate. I'm going to try this, and I'm glad I did pay a lot for a blade because I I really like the results I get from it. Yeah. But that forty tooth combo is exactly where I where I am. Well, if he's looking at also think of it this way, if he is considering separates and he pays thirty to forty bucks for two separate good, I mean, you don't want to pay less than that for either of the separate blades. By the time you put those together, you've got your eighty or ninety bucks it's going to take to buy something like a woodworker two or the ten ru. So yep. uh, you know, I don't know why you, if you're if you're going to go that route and you want to do the combo and still you know not sacrifice quality, I really think you should if you can bump up to that higher one, which is like I said, the cost of two cheaper ones. So that, that's right. And then on top of it, I mean, those ones, you know, they're going to last you a long time. You can send them in to get them resharpened, which is definitely something you'll never see me sharpening my own my own uh, table saw blades. No way yeah. in the world is that going to happen. Right. I, I get nervous enough just doing hand plane blades, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. doing something like that. But, you know, this also kind of opens up another topic and, you know, we probably open a huge can of worms here. And that's the, the discussion of thin curve versus regular curve. Mm, okay. And I, I originally I, I was really big on thin curve because. I have an underpowered table saw and the thin curve really helped me get through stock, you know, rather easily, but it flexes and that can be a real issue, especially, you know, if you are hoping to, you're working with maple and you don't want to, you know, spend all the extra money because you got to suddenly start planing things away or jointing things Mm -hmm. away and everything. Um, So I ended up stepping back up to the, the full thick, uh, full thickness curve. And I kind of like that. That's, I've decided 
I had my fun as a youth with thin curve. <laughs> I'm, now gonna, I'm going back to full curve. I'm a full curve kind of guy. Yeah, well, and for anyone who, who's listening who doesn't necessarily know, um, I know a lot of times we talk about terms and things, and we, we forget sometimes to, to so almost define the basics like this. So if you don't know, a thin curve is just a thinner version of the blade, which basically has less mass. There's less meat on the blade. So an underpowered saw is able to cut through thick material. It almost makes your saw seem more powerful because you're moving less uh, less blade through the material itself. Uh, right. But like Matt says, there's there's sometimes stability and uh, some issues. So a lot of times, though, you could buy a little um, stiffener, a blade stiffener stabilizer that is just a solid um, steel plate that goes in the outside between the blade and the nut. And you can just kind of, uh, it almost makes the blade act like a thicker blade. Um, so that's also just one possibility if you, uh, if you are stuck with the thin curve and you want to get a little bit more of a stable cut. Right. You know, funny story. Um, <laughs> tangenty moment. Uh, the <laughs> idea of a uh, the, the blade stiffener. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a huge difference between a blade stiffener and a uh, dado blade set, um, like one of those expanders. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A shim? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ooh, wow. Huge difference. Uh, a little bit, One yeah. tends to be a little bit more stabilizing. The other one just seems to flop along with the blade. <laughs> Interesting. I'm not yeah, even that gonna... was sent in by a listener. That wouldn't be me. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> You're off the hook then. Yeah. Okay. So we uh, we actually do have some voicemails, which is nice. And some of these are a little bit old, so I apologize. It's been, what, three, four weeks since the last show. So um, <laughs> these people have probably moved on, figured out the uh, answers to their problems, but we'll, prevent, we'll just pretend these are fresh. Okay. Sounds good to me. Okay. So first one is from uh, Jess, who has a question about Maloof rocking chair plans. Hey, guys. This is Jess from Oakland, California, better known as Oakland Craftsman on the Wood Whisperer site. I had a question uh, relating to uh, the Maloof uh, rocker chair. I was looking into building this, and I've been looking around at plans, and I didn't really want to drop $275 on Hal Taylor's plans. I saw one other set of plans on uh, Highland Woodworking site, and I just didn't know if you guys had any uh, experience with people that have built from these plans, and if you could uh, offer me any kind of advice. Any help would be appreciated. Uh, Thanks a lot, Okay, so what he's talking about is HalTaylor.com. Hal Taylor has some, and has for quite a while now, um, some plans for making a Maloof rocker or a sculpted rocker, if you don't want to use the, the name Maloof, but clearly that's the inspiration for it. And what was interesting is recently, about around the time that uh, Maloof passed away, right, Um, it seemed Mm -hmm. like Highland Woodworking came out with this new set of plans from Charles Brock, and this is what he's referring to. It's $89.99 compared to, what did he say, $2.50, I think, for the Hal Taylor set. Yep. Um, and he's wondering, you know, it's a lot cheaper. Is is this really worthwhile? And I don't, I don't know because I haven't touched either of them. But I did ask around uh, to to get some people's opinions. And uh, Tree Frog, a good friend of the show, says um, he said no, he hasn't actually used them. But he he does have Hal Taylor's latest PDF uh, rocking chair CD. He says that the the Highland Woodworking one though looks like it's got full size plans, which is a big deal. Um, right. Nicholas Baldwin, I think this was on Facebook, I got this response, said, got it a few weeks ago, haven't started yet, but the plans are full-sized and complete. The book is just a companion for the DVD, not very thorough, but the DVD is great because it shows every process. Good value compared to the Hal Taylor plan. 
Uh, Charles's plan is a faithful reproduction of Sam's Rockler, and he recommends it highly. And one other person said that they have a friend of theirs that completed it and made an absolutely stunning chair using uh, the $89.99 um, uh, Brock plans. So nice. that's that's all I know. Now, you said you did. What did you say about this? You 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 gave this as a freebie recently as a giveaway, right? That's right. A couple of months ago uh, the, with uh, the sponsorship that I have from Highland Woodworking, that was one of the things that we were giving away. In fact, in the first month that we had it up and running. OK. Um, I, you know, and so as we go heading into this, I'm like, oh, I really should have emailed the listener that ended up winning that to see if he had a chance to play around with it. But the uh, the author, Charles Brock. Um, he actually has popped into the show here early on, and he had he had dropped me a, a, an email. He was all excited that we were giving it, that I was giving it away on the show, and that we were talking about it. And uh, they they definitely the, the folks over at Highland really love the idea of this thing. It's it's if you want to, if you head over to Highland Woodworking and you click on the link, I noticed they have a uh, little four minute introductory video. If you want to get a feel for what the the DVD is is really like. And uh, Charles even has his own website. In fact, I probably should look for it right now. We'll put, we'll probably put this in the, the show notes sure, just sure. so everybody can head there. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he's even coming in for seminars too to uh, help talk about this. They're more or less well, – we, we kind of looked this up and it was like uh, uh, he's going to do the work and you kind of watch him. <laughs> yeah. And so that will help you get an idea of how to do it. But it's it's definitely the, the full-size patterns. I mean that's like I said, that, that, that that's really, really helpful because I think there's some shapes in here that I'd be like – no, I do what? And then where do I get that curve? <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> you know, and plans are one thing, but seeing it in the form of video is, is critical. And, and I don't know whether this is in response to, to that, but I think Hal Taylor almost was the only game in town for a long time. And I just looked on the site and it says that there's a video uh, coming soon. So, uh, uh-huh. you know, competition is a good thing. And, um, you know, I'm looking at the other things they offer here at Highland. It looks like the, it's either like a three or four day seminar uh, is two hundred and forty-five dollars? Where it's it's a demonstration where you can. I'm sure he has pre-assembled parts, and you see some of the most important aspects of the build, and you can sit in on that for for several days. Uh, that's two hundred and forty-five, and then it looks like they also offer a one-day thing where he probably just shows the chair and 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 you know goes in over the highlights of how it's made uh, in a one-day thing, and that's seventy-five dollars. Which reminds me. Uh, you know, a guild membership is is only um, you know eighty four dollars, and that's for a whole year. And you get a so, lot more coverage in there with other topics. It's and, not uh, just about stuff like this. Yeah. So don't give me crap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Enough enough self promotion. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I thought I that was now. Here's a good question. This is something okay. I wanted to touch on, and maybe we could have um, someday if if he was in the chat room, maybe he'd be willing to come on the show and, and talk to us about this. But one thing that crosses my mind with this. Do you have any problems with people selling and um, profiting off of Maloof's plans or, or Maloof's chair style and making plans with his name uh, involved in the production? Um, you know, I, I, I guess I haven't really thought too much about it. I mean, um, the real question to me is, does the Maloof family have a problem with it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, in what legal right do they have? Either way, I'm not really sure. But, um, right. you know, still, I, if, I, if, I think if you really want to get technical about it, since he's saying it's a Maloof inspired, at least it, it this kind of goes into the remember, uh, was it last year or so? There was a there was an article in one of the magazines. I think it was in Popular Woodworking talking about like the legal ramifications of copying other people's work sure. and yeah. you know, what could happen with it and that's this is definitely is one of those that's it's in a gray area isn't know, it yeah i mean i'm yeah, on the it, fence it, about it i mean if it's if it's not going to the the maloof family or the the foundation or some charity 
Um, you know, I, I, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not really giving my opinion. I'm just throwing the, um, you know, the, the, the thought out there. I'm curious what other people think. Um, because I know some people do have a problem with this type of thing. Um, I, right. per, I personally don't have a, a problem per se, but I, I do fully see it as, as something that's in that gray area. Oh, yeah. It, there, there's no doubt about it. It is in that, that, that gray area. And I'm sure there's, there's plenty of people out there that are going to be like, these are just the wolves at the door and they're, you know, feeding off the dead carcass. Not to be <laughs> so dramatic, but you know what I mean? But at the same time, I, I think um, it, it, there's kind of that paying homage is kind of one way I look at it. Yeah. Um, you know, so the other if, thing is that, I mean, if, if um, Maloof is not necessarily like one thing I wish he would have done was possibly teach these these techniques to more people other than you know I mean he had a business to run so I'm not this right. is not meant to be a criticism but it would be nice to see these things passed down so if someone else has figured out that process and is able to replicate it and then can share it with thousands and thousands of woodworkers it's you know that's the part that's the warm and fuzzy part of it for me but then of course then there's the business side of it that makes me wonder is it a a ethically or morally uh, good thing to do right that that's that's a very good question, and I, yeah, I'm curious to see what everybody else thinks about that. I know we're going to get a wide variety of mm-hmm. answers on this one from, yeah, absolutely love it, to the bastard needs to be hung up by his feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so leave, leave us a comment in the show notes and uh, let us know what you think. We're, we're curious. Right, absolutely. Okay, moving on. Got a question from Eric about uh, refinishing and costing, so it's a good one. Hello, Mark and Matt. Eric Wolf here calling from Fate, Texas. This time around, I wanted to give Roberto a run for his money so that he wasn't uh, the only voicemail on the line. I have a question about refinishing and restoration work in regards to pricing. We've heard on occasion some guidelines that you use for woodworking from scratch and how a good rule of thumb was materials times three. My question is, do you have a similar rule of thumb for refinishing and restoration? Uh, The materials for refinishing are a lot cheaper than what a project from scratch would be that you are sure to invest just as much time and labor into a refinishing job. How would you go about pricing out your work so you aren't cheating yourself, or worse, cheating the client? Keep up the good work, and I look forward to hearing your answer. Thanks, and bye. Okay, great question. Um, Now, first I will say that the rule of thumb of three times materials cost is not a good rule of thumb, and if you plan on actually making money, I would definitely recommend not doing that. Um, you'll be incredibly inaccurate just because of the the wide variety of costs in materials. You know, so three times is not exactly fair to you or the client. So I would bag that from the beginning. And if I remember correctly, in Wood Talk Online Episode 1, you Mm -hmm. and I discussed pricing. And I think I outlined my, my personal pricing procedure for new builds, which is really not complicated at all. It is usually like materials, plus maybe 10 to 15% and then your hourly rate. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. And I say simple, but figuring out a fair hourly rate that you can actually charge, that's really where the challenge comes in. Because I used to charge $50 an hour, but did I actually make $50 an hour? Yeah. Uh, no, um, most of t- the time I did not. So um, you really have to, to learn how to work quickly so that you can truly make what you want to be making per hour. Now, for refinishing, I find it to be even simpler because a lot of times if you're doing a lot of refinishing, the materials are just, you just need a lot of it. You need a lot of stripper. You need a lot of uh, certain finishes, and it's not necessarily as expensive in terms of materials cost, just like Eric said. So for me, it's an hourly um, hourly rate, and that's really all it is. I mean, right. if it takes you uh, four hours of, of pure labor 
to get this chair refinished, let's say, then four hours times $50 an hour is your rate. Just make sure that your hourly rate includes, uh, you know, is sensitive to your materials cost, your overhead cost for electricity, lighting, uh, all those things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just an hourly rate and just figuring out what the fair market value for your hourly rate is, is really the challenge. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember that when we did have that discussion, because that was a huge question at the time. Yeah. And I think you even you had an article, too, like in Cabinet Makers Builders or something like that magazine that mm-hmm. was kind of helping out that. And I, I heard that when it comes to setting a shop rate, that is the number one thing. Me, I'm like, all right, um, a uh, case of uh, ginger ale. Yeah, and, well, if it's a uh, friends and family thing, you know, what what are you going to do? Or, you know, if you're doing it as a hobby, it's just make sure you make enough money to t- buy some wood for the next project or your next tool. Um, exactly. And, you know, Daniel yeah. in the chat room had a good formula. He said, don't forget when you work for friends and family to add 25%. So That's about right. I, I'm more like 35 40%. <laughs> and there's also a, uh, a contract that they have to sign that's called the no bitching contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you sign away your right to complain about what you get. That's right. Yeah. Uh, right. When it comes to the restoration stuff, I have no clue. So I was kind of curious to see what you had to say about that too. So sweet. That's what I say. Nice. Okay. Uh, We've got another voicemail, and this is our last one, from uh, Mark, and he's asking about a durable tabletop finish. Hey, Matt and Mark. This is Mark from Massachusetts, and I have a question about finishing. I have a kitchen table. um, It's just a a plain oak table, and I'll sand it down, and I'll take it down to bare wood, and I want to put the toughest finish I can possibly put on it. This gets used every day, and it it needs to be... It gets spilled on, it gets wiped, it's whatever it is, but... um, do you have any suggestions for the most durable finish I can put on this table? Thank you. Okay, so I'm curious, from your perspective, Matt, um, uh-huh. coming from a uh, you know, hobbyist, you got your mind on a lot of other things than woodworking. If you're doing a dining room table for the family or a kitchen table is probably more accurate, the one that gets beat up all the time, uh-huh. um, what would you reach for um, given your equipment and, and things that you have, finishes you have access to? What would you put on your table? The, the one that I did put on our family room table, and it's funny because I was just thinking about this this morning as I watched my son's friend who spent the night taking this real big metal thing and just scraping it all over the whole table. <laughs> and I sat there wanting that polyurethane is held up for easily over like uh, eight years now, and I haven't had to redo it. Wow. Um, just straight up polyurethane, nothing special. It was right off the Home Depot lot. Ooh, man, the big home center uh, shelf, I should say. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's that's all. It's just simple, you know, store-bought polyurethane, nothing special. I put maybe four coats, maybe a fifth. It's more like four because Daddy Van is, again, really lazy <laughs> and likes to just get things done. And I have had yet to have any problems with water getting underneath it i've had no issues at all with burning like especially when daddy matt runs over with the hot plate that throws it down and goes damn that's hot nobody touch it (laughs) right (laughs) um all of that stuff that's i i like i said i I put like you know four coats probably was the max and yet to have any major issues that have ever become a major problem okay so just plain old poly i mean a lot of people give it sort of a bad rap but clearly it's it's actually it does what it's supposed to do right exactly i i I love the stuff i mean it's really although i i have found a new love and polly and i are probably going to be spreading our ways but you know going different directions but it's it's armor sale which you know when it comes down to it i i'm really digging that in fact i I just started using a water-based one just recently okay the hp one the high performance one Uh uh-huh and i'm i'm really found my new love 
Well, I'm I used that on my uh, tool chest recently in the in the shop in the guild video, and it it turned out great. Now I'm not sure that I'm ready to throw that onto a dining room table, but um, right. you know it's it's certainly something that is has raised my respect for water based finishes. But um, right. now what what I would say for this is you know it depends on what he has access to, right? If he has HVLP, maybe we can mm-hmm. recommend some other things for him. But if he's just like you know most people and he needs to do this with a hand applied finish. Like you said, polyurethane is a great option. And, of course, if you want to um, go up a little bit into a higher quality urethane mixture, you could look at something like Armor Seal. Also consider Balin's, we talk about this uh, once in a while, Balin's Rock Hard Tabletop Varnish. Yep. Clearly is made for tabletops. Um, You know, it's a really high solids, very durable varnish that would be a good option. Um, The other thing I would recommend now, if if he can spray... There are a, a whole host of finishes that really are not exactly hobbyist, garage woodworker, consumer friendly. These these are really <laughs> crazy, you know, multi-part <laughs> finishes that, that are durable as hell, but um, not exactly the, accessible to most of us. Um, mm-hmm. So we won't really go there, but uh, what was the other thing I was going to recommend? Um, oh, here you go. I don't know if you have something like this in your area, and I wish I had more detail. I should have uh, contacted Ron about this, but uh, my buddy Ron has a, a woodworking business here locally, and he had a table that he was finishing, I think, for some some client, and we were talking like a, a big oak tabletop that needed to be super durable. He found a place that puts this uh, UV-cured finish on it, and I'm not even 100% sure what it is. It looks very it looks very acrylic when when i see the surface because i I got to see the the final product but it is durable i mean the thing is bulletproof and you basically give the table to this company it cost them like i think 90 bucks to have the coating put on it's uv cured and as long as this thing is stored inside you shouldn't have any problems with it so um if you're looking for really super duper durable that might be something to consider too and i'll try and find more info on what that process is so you know what to look for nice no that that's a great alternative that yeah there there are have been some times that i've thought you know man i would really like to try another product but mm-hmm. eh, so far so good i mean if it's something that works I, I like to stick with it most of the time well and until, not to you know you don't want to overcomplicate things right so if if it right. works um you know polyurethane is good and if you don't like the look of just straight poly try the armor seal like personally i think it looks better than than regular poly right and that's like that, that's my my newfound love i did use the the armor seal the 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 uh, the oil based one on mm-hmm. uh, Sam's bookcase and I absolutely that was another one else that came running in, running in going look at this look at this <laughs> <laughs> all right moving on we've this is going to be a little bit of a long show but it's a Saturday so um, yeah, and we're making up for lost time because of you know life <laughs> yes yeah and uh, and hang in there with us because I I think I'll give you the little carrot and um, we'll give away a guild membership um, at the end of the show so sweet sit tight for that and Matt you you don't qualify what oh, Oh, Nicole's excited about the the guild membership. Wow. I didn't know she you should was so give excited. her one. I should. You want a guild membership, huh? Yeah. I'll hook you up. Okay, so we do have a couple emails. Uh, one that was sent to... Which one is this? Uh, nope, both of these were just emails I picked out of my inbox. I thought were interesting that, that we could talk about because they're some fun, fundamental things. Now, first of all... This this may border sacrilege for some uh, purists, and I think it's great, and I applaud uh, Bud for his, his efforts and what he has to say here. So I will attempt to read this. This is about Bud's workbench. 
Right. Uh, he says, I hate to contribute to your overflowing inbox, but I'm pretty excited about this project. You might remember me, blah, 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 blah. I should have edited that out. <laughs> I think most people have an unhealthy addiction to tradition. Old is not always best. I really like your best tool for the job approach. I always wanted to work that way. Recently, I've been trying to trim every project down to absolute functionality, both in production and use. I've tried to let the use of each piece dictate everything about it, size, shape, material, finish, while also finding the quickest and cheapest way to produce whatever that thing may be, so long as it's all functionally, or all the functionality is retained. The first thing I tried with this method is my latest workbench. I'll briefly highlight the main advantages over traditional benchmaking methods and materials. Now, I do have pictures. I'll post this on, on my website sometime in the future, but it's not so much about seeing what it is. It's the concept that I want everybody to kind of ponder. He says, cost. This bench cost me about $80. Time, no glue-ups, no material surfacing. Altogether, it took me around eight hours. The tools, no jointer, no planer. This bench can easily be made with a minimal tool set. The top is flat and stable, never needs to be flattened. The design is extremely rigid, no chance of racking. The leg vise, uh, the leg vise is also a torsion box, uh, lending the same benefits. Everything, and I forgot to mention this in the beginning, it's all based on torsion box construction. Okay. Um, you know, he says eight quarter lumber is expensive and all solid lumber warps over time not a torsion box I made the chop from scrap half inch and three eighths, inch, uh, three eighths ply it's light and flat I have a nice solid bench modeled after the 21st century workbench that uh, Bob Lang did over at Pop Woodworking and I can't think of a single reason why I'd rather use it uh, than using the torsion bench there are no drawbacks the bench is cheaper, faster, easier, more stable and every bit is functional and, you know, I'm looking at this picture, and it, it's not the best-looking bench because, you know, it's it's a torsion box and made, there's a lot of screws everywhere. But technically, you could make this bench if you want it to be sensitive to the look. You could jazz it up a little bit, trim the ply out. But, again, his theory is I'm just going purely functional. So he's got this right. nice torsion box leg vise on there. The whole top is dead flat, and he brings up some pretty damn good points. You know, like, is it really necessary these days anymore to get that big, you know, giant piece of lumber and create the, the top of a traditional workbench that's just going to warp every year and you have to reflatten it anyway? Right. You know, so certainly something to consider. Now, is is that sacrilege or does Bud make sense? What do you think? I have never been one for tradition, and I've stood on that stance traditionally. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it comes down to it, no, I don't think he is. I, I think, and I'm, I'm in the same camp. I mean, you and I kind of are, are, are very similar thinking in this way. That yeah, right. It's it, it's functionality. It's it's you know finding the right tool to get the job done. And if that's the situation, I say go for it. I mean, my workbench isn't traditional by any means. It's just a kind of a base with some uh, plywood on the top of it. I, I I can't undo it in case it warps every year and. You know, I, I'm all for it. I think if if it works, it works. Yeah, and I've I've been contemplating my next bench because, as you know, I've not not really happy with mine, and it is a solid wood single you know leg pedestal type setup, and it's just moving all over the place. But I looked at this and I'm like, would would this be something that would work for me? And part of what I've been thinking is, in an age when we have so many relatively flat you know sheet goods and things like that, uh, certainly flat enough to make workbenches out of, and and the ability to make things like torsion boxes. I'm thinking if you could almost use his project as inspiration because he does have the top of the torsion box as the main work surface. Well, what mm -hmm. if you did something to reinforce the top and, and give yourself a sacrificial surface on the top of the bench that can just be replaced? And the, uh, you know, the sub base of the top is the torsion box. So no matter what you put on top of it, 
excuse me, as long as it's a flat sheet good, like a piece of MDF or something, uh, right. you wind up with a nice flat surface that is just replaceable. Uh, so, you know, maybe once a year you just cut a new piece out instead of flattening the bench. So I don't know. I thought it was a really compelling thing, and I think that's where I'm, my brain is going for my, you know, next workbench build at some point. I think it's a very practical approach that a lot of people would really appreciate. Um, I'm just trying to think advantages, like advantages that we're not thinking of for a traditional uh, wooden bench. And by the way, I, I can't wait to post the pictures of this because he does have, you know, uh, multiple vice setups, very traditional vices on this mm-hmm. thing and also a new vice that just makes sense, like the leg vice. I was like, wow, that is that is pretty cool. Now, obviously, it depends on, um, you know, how it's built, but he showed me the uh, interior structure of the leg vice that he, he, he created, and that thing looks sturdy. I mean, made with... Um, you know, plywood and it's got all the ribs on the inside, it's not going to bend at all. It's certainly going to be as strong as uh, anything you would need it to do as a leg vice. So, right. I don't know, yeah. man. It's compelling. Right. Well, you know, the idea with the, with the torsion box is that it will stay flex. That's always my main concern. In fact, that's one issue I'm running into right now is I've noticed that, much like me, wow, it's amazing how these things come back to me. The middle of the bench <laughs> is starting to bow a little bit. It's starting to get a belly on it. Okay. So, you know, so I'm having a little bit of an issue with that. But that then again, I don't have a torsion box set up, so I don't have something that's going to be in there to help kind of hold it down in place the way it, it you know, sort of stay nice and flat. Yeah. Um, the only other issue I could see it would be weight, especially if you're working with hand tools, because as a, as a person who uses hand planes as much as possible, um, even with my bench, it's pretty heavy, but it's still, I think if I had a solid wood top on it, it would make it even heavier. And therefore I'm not chasing my bench across the room, literally, as I'm trying to hand plane a board flat. <laughs> right. Other than that, I, that's, that's really the only issues I can see. Cause if you can make the torsion box so that it stays dead flat all the time, that's one of the number one issues with a hand planer is, you know, uh, whenever somebody who's using hand planes is if your bench kind of gets out of whack a little bit, you'll notice your boards are a little out of whack, yeah. but you know, that's easy to take care of. Well, here's another thing. Uh, the torsion box, for instance, you know, is deceivingly heavy. Um, although it's, you know, hollow, all those mm-hmm. ribs, especially if you use something like MDF as your core material, that oh, I thing, that. I mean, it's heavy. It's really heavy. And here's another thing. If you're making a hollow uh, cord system like that, before you place that top grid on, think about what you might be able to do. How about sealing the inside and throwing some playground sand uh, inside the top before you seal it up? That's a great idea. I that's mean, that. Yeah, that, that thing's definitely. going nowhere if you do something like that. So, I mean, they're heavy right, enough as it is, but that that's certainly something that comes to mind. Okay, do you want to read Danny's uh, question? This was an email I got, but I thought this is a fundamental question, and a lot of people are probably, as they get into working with exotics, exotics are going to have this uh, question as they get into it. Sure, no problem at all. Okay, so this one came in and it says, Last year about this time, I made a pretty cool skateboard deck for my older son. I glued a book-matched piece of 1-8-inch Coca-Bola to the top of the top of a piece of Baltic birch and inlaid a quarter-inch by 3-inch piece of aluminum to the bottom for added strength and durability. Now, before applying a polyurethane finish, I wiped the deck down very thoroughly with mineral spirits and applied the finish immediately after it dried. After 24 hours, it was still wet, so I wiped the finish off and tried wiping it with lacquer thinner, refinished, and waited another 24 hours. Uh, The finish still hadn't hardened, uh, so again, let's see here. He stripped off the finish uh, and dried it this time with acetone and refinished. Uh, Looks like he then 
Well, this time I let it dry for several weeks. The finish had dried, but then not very hard. I recently checked with my son, and he says it still doesn't seem to be very hard, even <laughs> a hard finish, even after a year. Did I do something wrong, or is Coca Bola that difficult to put a hard finish on because of its oily nature? I live here in Southern California, so I can't believe I don't believe the climate had that much to do uh, with it not drying to a hard finish. Mm. Um, Wow. <laughs> a lot of work. It's a shame because it, it, there is a very simple solution, and unfortunately he just didn't know it, so he just kept refinishing it over and over <laughs> and, and winds up not you know, uh, having the, the type of finish that he wants on there. So do you right. want to take a crack at it before I jump in? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you do it because my experience with Coca Bolo is I use cocoa to drink with my milk once in a while. <laughs> And but sometimes I know it's with, in a bowl. <laughs> that's right. Well, once in a while, it's little pebbles. And uh, But really what it comes down to, I mean, we, exotics are extremely oily. So yeah. that's one of the things that you need to take into consideration. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest with you, with my inexperience with them, uh, other than knowing that they're oily, that's about it. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a good start. Uh, that's a good segue. Um, basically, any exotic, any oil exotic, and we've we've covered this in various times in the past on on, uh, on our on the Wood Whisperer website, um, you know, these exotics with that natural oil content, the oil prevents oil-based finishes from curing properly, bottom line. So if it's an oil-based finish, whether you have an oil varnish blend, a varnish, you know, just a you know, can of polyurethane, whatever it is, the oil in the wood will not let that finish cure properly. And it could right. sit there for weeks and weeks and just be tacky the whole time. So um, the only thing you could really do is seal off that oil. You need to create a barrier uh, that is able to cure over the oil and stops that oil from coming through and interfering with the curing of the oil-based finish. And the classic thing to do and the thing that, that I would always recommend doing is uh, using some de-waxed shellac as a barrier layer. Um, you know, yeah, every, every project you do uh, with any wood could, in theory, somewhat benefit from a, a quick you know, spit coat or a wash coat of shellac because it kind of seals off any, any possible contaminants on the surface. It's a good general sealer, helps prevent blotching, um, you, know, uh, you know, prevents hair loss, all that good stuff. So, right, um, and it's good on candy, too. Yes, it's delicious. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so in this case, that's probably what I would recommend. He's got to give it a coat of, you know, unfortunately, he may want to refinish it again to start fresh, but make sure you start with that coat of de-wax shellac, maybe a one-pound cut, two-pound cut, whatever you're in the mood for, and then use your urethane mixture or whatever you want on top of that. I would go light on the oil, though, if he's using an oil. What did he say he's finished it with? Um, just probably mm-hmm. polyurethane, right? Right, yep, yeah, before adding a polyurethane finish. Okay, so yep. it doesn't have any, like, boiled linseed oil in there or anything. But So if it's just a straight poly, you know, the coat of shellac should be good to provide that barrier, and that gives the uh, polyurethane an opportunity to oxidize and, and cure properly. So that goes with any oily exotic. You have to do that. If you don't do that, you're in for a uh, uphill battle in trying to get that thing to cure. Right, absolutely. Yeah, no, I knew that you know the, the, the exotics could be extremely oily and you need to take it into consideration, but yeah. that, that's pretty interesting that it wouldn't even after a year or so. so yep, hmm. yep, yep. I learned something new on a Saturday morning. Booyah! Okay, let's learn something new from Tom. Oh, sweet. Tom's tips. That's right, I said Tom's tips. I didn't say Tom's lips. I said Tom's tips. Hello, everyone. It's Tom Iovino from Tom's Workbench, and it's time for another one of Tom's Tips. I've asked a lot of woodworkers, and just about nobody wants to spend the time sanding at the end of a project. It's not just, how shall I put it, a sexy woodworking task. To help ensure that you're at least getting an even sanding job, 
Here's a tip my dad gave me. On the surface you're about to sand, draw pencil marks back and forth from edge to edge. You can use chalk on darker woods. When you sand, look to take the line away evenly. Once it's gone, you know you did it right. Now where was that finish? If you want to discover more clever, useful, or even somewhat coherent tips, check out my blog at tomsworkbench.com or visit the Wood Whisperer community at community.thewoodwhisperer.com. All right. Thank you, Tom. Great tip. Um, that's exactly what I do when I sand personally. Um, it, it's really, I, I don't, it's not something that you just know, you know, to me, a nice pencil line or chalk line or something like that is, is a good reference point. I also do that with my hand planes too, because, you know, mm-hmm. if you have like an area that maybe there's a little bit of a dip in and you're like, why is this not working? What is wrong with me? <laughs> I know what's wrong with me, but why is the hand plane not working? Yeah. And then you just kind of run along there and it gives you an idea of maybe you're starting to in the wrong place or not. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a great tip. Absolutely. And uh, just briefly going back to the shellac, I see someone in the Angus uh, has a question concerning what we mean when we say pound cut of shellac. Uh, pretty much when you're talking about pound cuts, it's the it's referring to how much solid shellac flakes are in a particular volume of liquid, which is, um, in this case, alcohol. So when you say a one-pound cut would be technically one pound in one gallon of uh, denatured alcohol, which a gallon of shellac is a lot of shellac. So obviously when we make these mixtures, you need to downsize to uh, smaller amounts. And if you're going from a two pound cut to a one pound cut, let's say it's not as simple as just making a 50-50 dilution uh, because it's just a little, I don't want to get too much into it, but there are charts out there that tell you how much of this uh, two pound cut you need and how much uh, ethanol to add to that to get the one pound cut if you're looking to be that accurate. But I'm never that accurate. I just kind of do a little little bit of this and a little bit of that. And that's that's uh, why I don't cook, because my recipes would be the same way. Do a little of this, do a little of that, <laughs> yeah. do a little of this, do a little of that. <laughs> right. And basically, the bottom line, two-pound cut has more shellac in it. It's thicker. It's like if you take poly and you dilute it with mineral spirits, the more you dilute it, the less actual urethane is in the, the mixture, the thinner the layer of urethane. Same thing with shellac. It's a two- or three-pound cut. There's more shellac in it. There's more solids in it. Uh, that gives you a thicker film. So let's move on. We've got a, uh, a tip here from um, Carrie, and uh, yeah, this is a good one. I love this one. My tip is to take up whittling. It's easy. You only need a knife. You can do it when you're on vacation, and it's a great way to pass the time when your spouse is shopping and you and the dog are left sitting in the car. When I'm a little white-haired old lady who will no longer be able to hoist large boards onto my table saw, I'm going to sit in front of my shop and whittle and yell at people to get off my lawn. Whittling is something that intrigued me as a youngster. I remember using one of my dad's pocket knives to sharpen sticks, carve designs in them, and make slingshots. I never progressed beyond that, but I do remember having a great time and feeling cool like Opie Taylor. I'm going to fiddle around with whittling and make a spoon or whistle. Then I'll show the neighbor kids how I made it, which will no doubt amaze them. And they'll think I'm cool. The coolest middle-aged lady on the block. Stay frosty, fellas. You know, I will say, Carrie is cool. (laughs) How hilarious is that? I was like, you know, I'll tell you what, she is the coolest lady on this show. No doubt about that. There is no, after I met her at uh, Woodworking America in Kentucky, <laughs> this, I could just see her, too, sitting on the porch, get off my lawn. <laughs> get off my lawn, blowing her whistle. Yeah, throwing, like, the arrowheads that she just made out of the... <laughs> uh, the coolest middle-aged lady on her block. Yeah, cool. that's 
That's yeah. what I'm striving for, but maybe middle-aged guy. Well, I could probably be the coolest middle-aged lady. There aren't too many cool middle-aged ladies on my log. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Fantastic tip. Okay, so Sweet. believe it or not, man, I think that's all we got for everybody. And wow. we'll do a little uh, a little giveaway, um, guild membership giveaway, after we sign off with the recording. Uh, but unless you have anything else to add, I think we could we could wrap this puppy up and uh, put it under the tree. I say we should do that. We should probably punch in some air holes, though, for the puppy. Um, like, it, well, that's you think it'll still be alive in, in uh, three weeks? Oh, just shake it once in a while. We'll see. <laughs> oh, we are so going to get some bad emails about that one. Hopefully. And if you are one of those bad emailers that are going to tell us off about something, or better yet, you've heard something uh, in today's show, because we asked you for some comments in a couple of different areas, you have two different ways that you can get a hold of us. One is by using our email at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, or you can pick up the phone and leave us a message on our voicemail. Again, we're looking for the best Nicole impression for the beginning of the show, <laughs> and that is 623-242-2450. And uh, I think that's all I got. (laughs) All right. Well, until next time, which, of course, I'm just not going to promise when that's going to be anymore, but we will talk to you when we talk to you. (laughs) That's right. There's there's no getting around. Uh, We have no set schedule. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So everybody have a great uh, rest of your weekend and happy and safe woodworking. Absolutely. Take care, everyone. Toodaloo.